episode 174 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. The Pilot the Pilot podcast is brought to you by The Finer Points. You can get a free three-day trial of the Ground School app by visiting learnthefinerpoints.com. I'm Chris Welch. I'm a pilot for United. I've been there about six years. And I'm also the uh, owner and operator of the Aviator Cookie Company in Midland, Michigan. Aviation Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. You know, this pandemic hit so many people in aviation and so many people reacted in different ways. Uh, Some people founded companies. Some people went on to do other kind of flying. Some people went into social media, gaming, Twitch, whatever it may be. Uh, This specifically today is a story about a United Airlines pilot who went back and and thought about the last time he was furloughed, thought about 2001, thought about all the, the downturns that he's had and wanted to have something to fall back on. So Chris formed a company called Aviator Cookie Company. He's always loved making cookies and it came to his daughter saying, I want to own a cookie shop one day. And that was all it was for Chris to start this company. It's a really cool story and one that I was very honored to tell and one that I was excited to hear. And if I'm ever up that way in Midland, Michigan, I am going to go support Aviator Cookie Company. So go check them out, Aviator Cookie Company on Instagram and who will share all of it in this podcast. So find out his flying story and why he decided to start this company. It is a great story and one that I'm truly honored to say, like I said, if you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Tunes, you can check us out on Instagram. Also, make sure to check out Pilots Coffee, the best coffee for pilots, the best coffee for travelers, and just the best coffee in general. It's it's really, really good coffee. So check it out, pilotscoffee.com and at Pilots Coffee on all social handles. Aviation, I don't want to keep you any longer. So any further ado, here's Chris from Aviator Cookie Company. Chris, what's going on, man? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Hey, how's it going? It's going pretty well. Uh, we were just talking offline. I woke up about 20 minutes ago uh, doing all the night crazy night shifts. So uh, my body clock's all jacked up. But we are here and uh, I'm going to get my energy back here soon. I might need you to carry it for the first 15 minutes though. <laughs> okay, I got you. I'm just kidding. Uh, so yeah, so the first question I always ask everyone is solely based on aviation. We'll get into cookies and uh, doing kind of a side hustle uh, a little bit later. But why aviation? Why did you want to become a pilot? Well, uh I guess a lot of people in the industry, I was lucky enough to be born into it. So I'm um, actually one of 14 pilots in my family for, yeah, 14. So whether some of those have just soloed and others, uh, like my dad is a retired airline pilot. Uh, my uncle's a commercial pilot. Um, it's just the the family business. So I did the, the solo on my 16th birthday thing, private on my 17th. And it was uh, just something I always knew I was going to do. Did you ever feel the pressure of having to do it or was it um, more of like, this is really cool that I'm an aviation family. I can't wait to go do it. It was more of that. I, I felt really lucky to, to be a part of it. I had a great aviation upbringing. I spent a lot of time at Oshkosh. Um, my dad uh, used to fly the Ford Trimotor for EAA. So I would uh, and, you know, I'd spend weekends there growing up as a kid in the summer in Oshkosh and just surrounded by aviation and pilots and um, it's just something I always wanted to do. Yeah. So no pressure at all. That's awesome. Yeah. You think that there, you know, when you, you come from like a family of doctors or family of pilots, you feel like there's gonna be one person who feels the pressure to actually become a pilot when maybe they want to do something else and break away from the family, but not the family, but from like the family hobby or the family, um, job essentially. So that's cool that you didn't feel that pressure and you're kind of just all about it and wanted to go for it. 
Yeah, absolutely. What did the roadmap for becoming a pilot look like for you? I know you said you were always around aviation, you know, the tri-motor EAA, but what did actual training start? Like there's a difference between really wanting to become a pilot and actually becoming a pilot. So when did this all happen for you? Yeah, it's hard to pinpoint a specific time because I was the, uh, you know, lucky enough to be the eight-year-old kid sitting on a stack of jet books on the seat, you know, uh, driving around. Uh, I have a picture up in the, the bakery of me on an Aerostar doing just that. Um, so maybe official training when I was 15 uh, at the local airport here in Midland where I live. Um, he, I did a lot of flying with my dad and some local instructors around here. Um, so. You know, I was, I didn't do 141 or, or any of that. It was just all within the family. We, uh, you know, I just did, did my private here locally and then went to college at uh, Western Michigan University just strictly for business. And uh, we ended up buying a 152 that was IFR certified. And so the summer between my freshman and sophomore year, I just um, worked on the weekends pumping gas in uh, Kalamazoo, but during the week I was just a full-time student and knocked out all my ratings up all the way up to CFI. So I went back to college my sophomore year as a CFI. Oh, dang. So you got it done really quick. I did. It was, uh, I made it my job. So did you do your training at Western, uh, aside from the school? So you just did it on your own? Did it on my own. um, My dad lives on a uh, air park here in Michigan in uh, Linden. So airplane was based there. I had an instructor there and I did it all, you know, just 61. Did you have any friends that were in the aviation department over at Western when they were just like, the heck man, how come you're getting this done so quick? This 141 school is taking forever. Yeah. Especially at the time back then Western, I don't think you even started flying till your junior year there. So you, they made you uh, knock out all your prereqs. I know it's different now. Um, but back then, yeah, I was, uh, and I was lucky enough the the company, uh, it was Cal Aero back then, but they, they hired me on right away as an instructor because I was a line guy there. Um, so I immediately had a job flight instructing as, as a sophomore when yeah, all my peers hadn't even touched an airplane yet. Talk about that because a lot of people, they message me, they want to know like how they can get their foot in the door. The whole connections thing. I always preach about how important it is to, to use the people you know to get further in aviation, but it's really hard when you're starting out to find those people, you know, like eventually they just come with uh, you putting yourself out there or friends of friends and stuff like that. But how did you make those connections? How did you get that job? Was it a, your dad recommended you to go work there? Did you take your own initiative? Did you cold call? How did that all work out? Yeah, it did. Uh, the local FBO, um, the manager at the time, my dad had worked at a lot of different places in the state of Michigan and he had known the the manager of that place. So that got me the interview to be a line guy. And um, it was a, a great job. I ended up being a line guy throughout college, even when I was flight instructing. And that just got my foot in the door. So by the time I got my CFI, um, they obviously wanted to promote from within. Um, and even when I, I started flying charter there too, during college, and it was just a, a stepping stone. So aside from having a connection like that, it's just, it's networking. Um, I was in the uh, aviation fraternity at Western and met a lot of people that way. And I know people have, uh, have gotten jobs through connections from that. And it's just being involved in as much as you can. Yeah. And what was working the line like? I know I, we've talked about it. I've never specifically talked about uh, the actual grind of being a line guy or line girl. I mean, it's, it's not the easiest job in the world, right? No, it's not. And I, I've, I've thought about that recently because, um, you know, these Michigan winters can be brutal. And I, I don't know, as I, 
as I'm getting older, I'm thinking, man, these winters are really tough. And I think back to those days I was out there and, you know, minus 10 degrees and blowing snow and towing CRJs into the hangar and pumping gas at five in the morning. And I, I didn't think it was bad. I just, you know, that was my job. I loved it. I thought it was really cool. Uh, I was, you know, a complete aviation nerd and I got to, uh, you know, we'd have to ride the brakes in the CRJ. Uh, someone else was towing it in and I just thought it was really, really cool. It's funny how your perspective changes as you kind of grow up in the industry, as you kind of progress. So now that you're an airline pilot, a fancy airline pilot, you're looking back like, I can't believe I did that crap. <laughs> like, there's no way. But if you oh, have I someone know. that's like 16 right now, they're like, man, I would love to ride the brakes in a CRJ or I would love to ride the brakes in a, a, a beach jet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I was in heaven. Yeah, so it's great. And uh, fueling planes, uh, especially, so I used to fly caravans. And there's a couple of times in Michigan on the caravan, a few of those, you got to get on a big ladder. And when it gets windy, it gets super sketchy. And I've seen a couple of people fall off that. So it's definitely an interesting and very dangerous job at times. Oh, yeah. We had a uh, we a tug that we affectionately called Rolo because, you know, if you turned it too too tight and you're going too fast, it would literally roll. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you have any crazy stories from being a line guy, like fuel shooting out of a, a plane when you forgot about taking it out or anything like that? Or is it all pretty easy? Uh, it's all, it's all pretty easy. I definitely didn't do that, but, uh, you know, just, uh, the occasional celebrity would fly through and just remember stories like that. Yeah. That's cool. Um, yeah, that's pretty cool. We fly into, I used to fly to Michigan all the time for free. I don't do it as much with my new job, but we were always in and out of Detroit, which makes sense. Cause we flew a lot of auto parts, but yeah, we went to all those airports. So it was, it was pretty crazy. Those winters are rough. I've shut down Ypsilanti a couple of times for nil breaking action. Oh yeah. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me at all. Which I didn't know that Yip used to be the main Detroit airport. I kept every time I go in there, they're always very proud to tell you that that was like Detroit Metro at first. And then they said, no, we're good. We're going to build a new airport. We're going to go closer to the city. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which they're super close together. It makes sense. Oh yeah. So, uh, your training itself, did your dad actually, was he actually your CFI? Yeah. He wanted to, he wanted to be the guy that soloed me. So he, he got me up into the point of soloing and sign my law book off and you know i have the video of the uh, awkward teenagers teenager me at 16 and yeah he sold me and then after that um just used some local instructors here in the area was he worried that there was going to be an issue with like father-son relationship and teaching you or did the did you guys manage that pretty well yeah we managed it pretty well and uh it's kind of funny because his dad also did the same with him um, his dad was a pilot and his mom was a pilot too. Actually, my grandmother was the first pilot in my family in 1942, no way. Uh, which I think is awesome. Yeah. That she learned awesome. to fly at the same time as her dad, but she got the rating first. No way. That's yeah, cool. They, uh, uh, kind of sidetracked, but they met on a, uh, cross country. They at a, at an outstation airport, they, they met and we have the, his logbook um, from, you know, the early forties and it says met Carol Scheidler. Oh boy. <laughs> that's in so the cool. remarks section and uh, that's when they met um but uh he you know he's been around he's he's done a lot of flying he's uh you know approaching 70 and he still flies more year than i do and uh you know he almost has as much total time in a four tri-motor as i do total time period so he, he's been around so he, he he knows what can happen so uh not overprotective but he he was very involved in the process. Um, 
you know, going on cross countries and checking weather and following me, talking to controllers along the way. And, um, so, you know, might've been a little annoying at the time, but looking back now, I was grateful for that. Yeah. Looking. So what you've learned from how your dad handled that with you, obviously there's might come a time where your kids are going to want to get into an airplane and go fly. Judging how there's 14 pilots, I, I, I assume it's going to happen sooner than later. Um, right. have you thought about like how you're going to handle that yet? Or are they still a little bit young and you got some time to kind of figure out your strategy? Yeah, I have thought of that. And it, it's crazy to think, you know, my, my son is 12 or I'm sorry, 11 and I have a nine year old and I'm thinking back to the days I learned in an airplane that didn't have GPS. It was a 150, and I went off in my solo cross country, you know, two hours all the way straight north through the northern woods of Michigan. And I can't imagine sending a 16-year-old out in an airplane by himself with no GPS, you know, relying on the dead reckoning and all of that. And like, wow, that had to have been tough. <laughs> Thinking so, when I did my training, <laughs> when I did my private, I didn't use four flight, and I was at Ohio State. Made these really crappy one seventy two. So if we, I don't even think we had a GPS on there. If we did, it was one that we weren't allowed to use, or just didn't work very well. So the same thing. Mine weren't as as bad because Ohio is very flat and very farmland. It's not really like Northern Michigan where it's very wooded. Uh, so you don't have to worry about that too much. There's pretty much any field you could land on if you ever needed to land on one. But it's the same thing. Like thinking back on it, it's like how people trained in the forties or how people trained back then, or when I was doing my private versus now with the crazy glass and the GPS and the and four flight and Garmin aviation, Garmin pilot. It's just insane. I mean, I'm not saying that one's better than the other. Like I feel like we should have all the technology that we can and should help us out. And there's nothing wrong with glass cockpits. If that's what your son or your daughter's just going to keep flying for her the, the rest of her life, you know, like then learn how you're going to fly. So it's just really interesting to see how aviation has changed from when your dad met your wife <laughs> or your dad met his wife and uh, up till now. Yeah. And, and it's wild. And, uh, you know, one of my dad's wishes is that he could, you know, my grandfather's past, but that he wishes that he could, you know, just bring him back to show him what a modern cockpit looks like. Um, cause you know, my grandfather, uh, he didn't have the eyesight to, uh, fly combat in world war two. So he was a, a gunnery instructor, you know, in P forties in uh, Texas. So he flew, he flew all those warbirds in world war two. And, you know, my dad looked back thinking that, you know, man, I wish I, I was born at the wrong time. I wish I could have flown those, but you know, my grandpa's like, Oh, they're hot and sweaty and noisy. And it's just a different perspective. So he would love to show them what a modern cockpit looks like. Yeah. That'd be really cool. It is funny how like, again, we like romantic, we romanticize the past when your grandpa or his grandpa was like, it was way too hot, way too sweaty. Like keep your APU, keep your air conditioning, keep your fancy Garmin, you know, like get some air conditioning seats in those and enjoy the flight. Yep. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, going back to your training, did you have any difficulties when you were training at all? Was it smooth sailing for you? Yeah, mostly smooth sailing. Um, it was, it was very quick. Had a little hiccup on the CFI oral. Uh, that I got to come back the next day for. So that's my, my one and only, uh, thing. And I, you know, I just did it too quick, wasn't prepared enough. And, uh, it was a good lesson for me early on. So, um, that's about it. It was, I, I look back at it and, uh, just really grateful of it. Yeah. The CFI oral, that was one of the reasons why I didn't want to become a CFI because all I heard about was the eight hour oral, the nine hour oral and how difficult it is. And I was like, you know, I'm good. I'm going to go do this aerial survey thing and go build my time this way. It's like, y'all have fun with the CFI. It's not for me. Yeah. 
Oh, but I'm glad I instructed though. That's, That's good. For sure. Well, it'd be cool. Do you keep up with you? You still have that rating? Do you keep it fresh so you can instruct your kids? Yeah. Well, I just uh, did my American Flyers online renewal about two weeks ago. So uh, it was one of those things. I don't know why I always forget, but I, I realize, oh man, I have three weeks to do this. How did I? It's been two years. I, I should have prepared better. But uh, so yeah, I do keep it up, um, but I haven't actually done any instruction recently. That's funny. Yeah. I feel like everyone I talk to is the same way. Everyone puts it off as long as possible. And they're like, I got a weekend to do this. And it's like, a, isn't it like a nine hours or so that you have to finish this course? It is. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yep. a, that's every, every time. And I'm sure it's a little dry. It's probably not the best <laughs> presented information in the world. But the further away you get from it, the more interesting it becomes, at least for me. So it's not so bad. That is a, so. That's a good point. So the farther away you've got from general aviation, I don't know how much you fly on the side in general aviation, but being like an airline guy, uh, when you're in training and what you know, it's like you you know the the far aim very well. You know most of them, and as you kind of progress and get more comfortable in the airline world, some of that knowledge might go away. Not saying you forget it all, but it's not like you can't recall it from memory like that all the time or all the rules and regulations. But do you find yourself not necessarily just like what was most important to you when you're flying general aviation to where you are now? Like it's changed and that you're more focused on the SOPs of the company versus uh, what was going on with uh, the far aim or kind of uh, GA stuff. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. Um, but I've also thought about that recently. I, I, I haven't, I'm a little removed from general aviation and I'm not uh, happy or proud of that, but I did fly a, a Cherokee about four years ago. And I had to hit the books because it's completely different than what I do. But, you know, I know my job very well, but to hop in a Cherokee and fly around VFR um, is is completely different. It's dangerous, to be honest with you. (laughs) The thought of me going into a a 172 or a Cherokee or an Aero or anything like that, it's like, yeah, I'm I'm a pilot and I have 5,000, whatever many hours I have now, but... Going into a single engine airplane, I would be a danger if I was flying that by myself without at least like an hour of instruction to figure it out. I'm sure it would come back quick because, you you know, the, the motions come back and it's still flying, but just flying at slow speeds and getting set up for landing and stuff could be an issue <laughs> the first couple of times. Well, that was for me. And luckily, I uh, it was a friend's airplane. He gave me a really good checkout. Uh, but I hadn't flown a single engine airplane in about... I don't know, eight years at that point. And that was when I used to own a Cessna 120. So a little tail dragger. So now I'm, I'm hopping in this, uh, this Cherokee. It, it was an experience. Do you want to get back in the GA? Are you going to buy an airplane in your future? You think? I would love to someday, but man, I don't know how I could do it really right now with my schedule and just the way life is, but I, I would love to someday. That's for sure. If there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> uh, yeah, I keep looking at, at planes to buy and one, they're stupid expensive. And two, same, same thing with you. It's like, where do you find the time to go do it? But it's, it, it is fun. I think it's important for pilots to remember GA, GA aviation and get back into it. Cause I feel like it kind of brings the love for aviation back as you progress in your career, you kind of get a little bit jaded when airlines or the companies you're at kind of either piss you off or maybe in your mindset, they do something to, to make you mad and you kind of get jaded a little bit in the community. Would you agree? Um, I think guys have a, a tendency to, to do that sometimes. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. I guess I'm the oddity. I think I've had some bad jobs in my past. Same. So, <laughs> man, I, I can't, I couldn't be happier now. So, but in the past, I would say, uh, yeah, I, I could see how guys could do that. And it's hard to, uh, maybe it's easy to forget sometimes how fun the job really is. Um, 
you know, I, someone recently asked me, uh, does it, do you look forward to flying every time? Like when you, when you get in the airplane, are you, are you like, Oh man, I have to fly this thing. I'm like, never. It's, it's fun. Like you ask someone, do you want to ride a, an ATV? And they go, yeah, that sounds fun. Or a jet ski or drive a boat. Like it's fun. And you know, yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I agree with you. You said it perfectly with, I've had some really bad jobs and I can agree to that. I've had some really shady jobs and where I'm at now, it's the best job I've ever had. I think it's the best job in aviation and I'm, I'm happy every day. Whenever people complain, I'm like, you, you are so far removed from the crappy aviation jobs in this world that you don't remember how nice it is to have an APU, a bathroom, coffee, and a pretty fancy jet. So yeah, it, it's a, all about perspective and it's, it's easy for people to lose that. What was um, your progression like? So you were CFI. How did you go from CFI to becoming a pilot at United? Well, I, uh, you know, I feel like I've had a lot of, a lot of luck and I've also sought out a lot of stuff, but getting hired at Cal Aero was really the key as a, as that line guy, that was the key pivotal moment for me because uh, I got my foot in the door there. I was a line guy. Then at 19 on my sophomore year, I'm flight instructing. So I do that full time as well as uh, doing the line guy things. I was doing uh, some community college teaching for their aviation 101 classes and just doing everything I could. I was a complete aviation nerd. Um, and then about my junior year, there was an opening. We had uh, we had two conquests, uh, well, two conquests, uh, 425s. We had a 441 and we had a citation jet. So uh, I got hired to do uh, some right seat for the 135 flights in the conquest. So I started building turbine time. Um, and that eventually led to right seat in the citation jet. So by the time I graduated college, I had 1600 hours and 500 of that was multi-turbine. Yeah. So it, it just really worked out. And that was uh, 2001. That was the summer of 2001 and everything was booming. Um, every application I sent out, I got a, uh, um, you know, a resume or an application back and interviews and I got hired by American Eagle right away. So I, I, uh, started there on September 3rd, 2001. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. So in training at American airlines, uh, training center when September 11th happened and we were promptly furloughed, uh, two weeks later when air travel resumed. So that was uh, another pivotal moment in my career, which we'll circle back to when we get back to the cookie company. But um, it, I was the highest of highs. I had, you know, worked so hard. I was, I was doing 70 to 80 hours a week at the airport all throughout college. I, I couldn't get enough of it um, and worked hard. And then uh, I'm at an airline flying 121. I was training on the SOP 340. I was going to be based in New York City and I had reached all my goals and then they came crashing down. So, um, I came back to Michigan. Luckily that connection at Cal Aero, they hired me back this time as a captain on the conquest. Um, so I had a, a flying job, um, didn't fly very much, but I was, uh, at least employed. Um, and then through a connection through all our time at EAA in the Ford Trimotor, there was a, a director of a corporate flight department and he offered me a job flying a, a citation 650 in Kansas. So 
again, extremely lucky at a, at a bad time in aviation to get a flying job. Um, so I moved to Kansas and I ended up being there for five years, uh, flying, uh, initially the citation three and then, uh, finishing off on the citation Excel. Did you stay there long enough to, cause you felt like you owed them anything or was it, did it take that long to get another job in the airlines? No, I was very grateful. And I, uh, I had met at the, which was at the time my wife and, you know, I had friends and it was, uh, it was a good life. Didn't fly very much. And, um, I initially thought, well, maybe this will just be, you know, my career, my life. And then started to get the itch, um, for 121 again, because that was always the goal to fly for an airline. Um, so I applied, uh, no one was really hiring at that time, but, uh, spirit airlines was, so I applied and I got hired at, at spirit. And so I left the Kansas job to fly for spirit. What was it about? So you said there, you had the itch again. Was there anything your 135 91 company could have done to make sure that itch didn't come back? Or was it always just in the back of your head that you have to get back in there? Could they paid more, more vacation? Or was, no matter what they offered, you were always going to go back to 121? It was, I guess, maybe seeing my peers. You know, at the time when I was there, my peers were at regionals. And, you know, I felt like my job was, was really good you know, it, it paid better than the regionals. And I thought I had a better quality of life, but then my peers started going to the majors and, and I'm like, do I really want to let this opportunity pass me by? And, you know, I'm a student of the industry and I know about corporate flight departments and how they can, you know, they're first to go. And so that was kind of the motivation was, is I, I wanted to have a career that I could, that I could count on. And, um, I think the airline kind of flying was the flying that I wanted to do. And I knew I needed to get 121 time and spirit was the perfect fit. What was old school spirit? I say old school. It's like 15 years ago, but what was old school spirit? Like, like everyone has an idea of what spirit is now. You see the videos of passengers fighting, throwing things, but what was like spirit, uh, back then? Well, obviously they've done a phenomenal job of uh, kind of taking a hold of that market and doing such a great job and being very profitable, making a ton of money and setting themselves up to, to really succeed in the future. But what was it like back then? So it was at the very beginning of the new spirit. So they had just retired their last MD 80. We had uh, 30 Airbuses, but to me, it felt like a big corporate flight department. There was, there was only 500 pilots, which is small for an airline, especially an airline flying Airbuses. Um, but I, I thought it was really, really cool. The training was, was really good. They, I don't know if they still only have this, but at the time they only had a captain training program. So we all went through the captain training program. You did the flying in the left seat. It was the four or five hour oral and uh, the training was really, really good. And instructors were good. They were all from US Air. And um, the kind of flying we did, I went to, you know, just island hopping in the Caribbean and all the Central American countries, even down to Peru in an A319. And, um, it was really, really good experience for the short time I was there. Did you ever think why you were there? Like I ask this question work all the time. Like, did you ever think this company would be what it is today? But you flying at old school spirit, or I guess transitioning to new school spirit, did you think that they'd ever be what they are today where they've actually made like a solid name for themselves in the space? I, you had that feeling that they had big, like big goals and, uh, they, 
we, when I was there, it was always when the jet packet came out. Um, this is before the electronic flight bags. It was where are we going next? You know, cause they were constantly adding destinations, which I'm sure they're still doing. So you, you definitely had the feeling that they were onto something. What, uh, what made you want to move on to a major? Was it always still like, this is a stepping stone, even though you kind of felt in the back of your mind, like, Hey, this could be a, a job for the future. They could really build something. It could have some great seniority and I could make a ton of money and a great life. Uh, was it just a draw to the majors again, like seeing your friends and uh, going to United, going to Delta American? Was it always that draw that was going to take you away? Well, it was actually a little bit of a personal life because um, Spirit, when I got hired, it was like I was a Detroit base. So we were going to go home, start a family and do that whole thing. And then I was there maybe a couple months and they downsized Detroit. And now I'm commuting from Michigan to Fort Lauderdale uh, during the winter, which is not exactly the easiest commute in the world. Um, I had just moved my then wife up to Michigan from Kansas, and now I'm gone like 21 days a month. So um, around that time, there's a you know, local corporation in my town kind of headhunted me, you could say, because they know they've had, they had had problems in the past of hiring people not from this area and having them not stay. So uh, it's kind of a small community, especially the aviation community here. So they knew I was a pilot. Um, so they contacted me and, uh, I ended up deciding, you know, for, to have a family and I can't be gone 21 days a month. It was, uh, you know, flying a challenger 604. They had uh, Gulfstream four fifties on order. I'm like, I, you know, I could do that. That's going to be, that'll be my career. And that'll allow me to have a family. And, uh, it's the decision I made at the time. And, uh, I ended up flying there for, uh, uh, just under six years. So how long were you at Spirit? I was there for one year. Okay. So Spirit for one year. So you went from 121 back to the 91 to 121 back to the 91 to 121. Yep. But I, you know, it's hard to consider uh, my short stint at American Eagle as a, I never left the training center, which it, it's funny. I just got my 20 year Alpha pin. So they can, they consider that was my uh, initial Alpha membership was my two weeks at American Eagle. Um, which is funny, but technically I guess I was a 121 pilot for two weeks. That's crazy. And I wanted to, I forgot, I was going to ask this question when you were in the training center, when it went on, how immediate were, were you like, Oh crap, I'm screwed. Oh, it was immediately. Um, the, the amazing thing, you know, everyone has their stories from that day, but we're, you know, the actual day it happened, we were at a, uh, like a nearby hotel at a conference center doing some training, but, uh, yeah, the, obviously somber. We had maybe five or six National Guard members in our new hire class. And within maybe 30 minutes of the event, their phones started ringing from their units, calling them home. So that was, uh, that was amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. Everyone has their 9-11 story. And uh, it, it's always interesting to hear everyone's story. It's always a little bit different. The same event happened to, to, to the country, to the world, but how it affected individual people is so different. And you were in, in training with American Airlines who had planes go into, into the tower or into uh, the bill. Yeah. Into the tower. And it's just absolutely insane. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, sure. it's, it's crazy. And it, it's awesome to see uh, people persevere and continue flying. And then it just shows the ups and downs of this industry and what we just went through with the coronavirus and how it affected this industry. But like, there are going to be solid ups again, and there's going to be more downs and you never know how low it's going to go or how high it's going to get, but just strap up and enjoy the ride. Right. 
Well, that's exactly it. And, you know, you know, some people during this last downturn and they're thinking, you know, I'm going to change careers. I can't handle these volatility swings, but you know, I've worked for large corporations and, you know, this happens at any job. And I tell them, if you take your career from, you know, start date to finish and do an average yearly salary, this is a great job and a great life. So like you said, you just got to take the punches and prepare for them, prepare for the downtime and then enjoy the good times. Yeah, absolutely. Which is easier said than done for sure. Yeah, exactly. And, um, I found out the hard way just, uh, growing up in this industry. So going forward to you now flying a Challenger 604 and possibly flying some 450s, I believe it was, um, you were completely sold on the fact that you were staying at this company. You're going to be 91 for the rest of your career, right? Yeah, that was the deal. I was, I was doing it for my family and, um, flying international is something I always wanted to do. And I got a taste of that right away in the Challenger. And when we got the, uh, Gulfstreams, um, did some, you know, real hard international flying Asia, South America, Middle East, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, yeah, it was, it was kind of what I was going to do, but I still had that itch in the back of my head, um, that airline flying was, uh, where I needed to be. When you're flying 91 and you're flying to Asia, you're flying to Africa, you're flying all over the world. Uh, I feel like a lot of people don't understand how small departments work with that. Like you're very hands-on with everything and dispatch and setting up customs and setting up a, an agent to meet you there to kind of hand or handler to make sure everything's handled. It's like, what was the prep work like for something like that? And I'm sure the flight was probably the easiest part, right? It was. And we were, we were a small department. We had, uh, you know, kind of the last couple of years I was there, we had four pilots for two airplanes. Um, luckily our, uh, we had a dispatcher who was like really fantastic, another aviation nerd. And he, you know, he, he would do all the permits and everything and it, it worked really smooth. But we didn't even use a uh, flight planning service. We did it all our own on Air Inc. Um, so, you know, um, flying to Istanbul, which is actually where I was when United called me, um, I was digging into the books and figuring out what waypoints I have to enter from and what countries I can't fly into Turkey from, you know, because like, I think it was Greece and Turkey don't get along, so you can't come from Greece. And so just hitting the books like that. And there was a place in Brazil where we would have to go up to the tower to file the flight plan. And, um, it, it's something that, uh, my airline coworkers that, you know, they have no idea about and that was, you know, they, who gets the first break type thing. Um, uh, but you know, I'm loading the bags, fueling the airplane, filing the flight plan, and then actually flying to Europe. So it's, you are the, essentially the whole airline in, in one guy. What was the sketchiest moment you've ever had? Like either flying Air National or like just the, the hardest flight or the most intense flight, uh, whether it's the pre part of the flight with uh, getting everything settled and getting all the, the flight plans loaded or filed or the actual flight itself. Have, did you have any like really like sketchy, like I'm done with this crap, like you know, 121 <laughs> again? <laughs> oh, there's plenty of moments, but um, we went to some interesting places in Brazil, some non towered airports um, where this, uh, and, and I guess back to my wanting to go to the airlines, all these departments I used to fly for don't exist anymore. So, um, which is a good reason I moved on because, uh, they wouldn't have been around. I would have moved on anyways, but, um, yeah, this company I worked for had a, a mine down there in the, you know, in the Amazon. And so we would go onto this non-towered airport and I think they made the runway out of crushed, 
crushed seashells or something. But after you landed there, your tires looked like cheese grate, like a cheese grater, like went over them. It was good for about four or five landings there. And there were these vultures that I swear had 10 foot wingspans. So you're doing an NDB approach into this airport in the Amazon um, to a runway that's going to chew up your tires. And that was a little sketchy, but looking back, I mean, what an experience. And again, I was in my young thirties at that point as a Gulfstream captain. And it's pretty darn cool. What would you do when you got there? Was there like a community and a hotel you could stay at? Like what was the, there, there wasn't. So we would drop off our passengers who I think would stay with the local plant manager at his house or I'm not sure. Cause it was, you know, on the edge of, uh, the Amazon and, uh, we would go to the nearest city that had a tower and a fence around the airport. So the airplane could be secured. And that was, uh, Belém, Brazil, Northeastern Brazil. And we would stay there for a week. And, uh, that was an experience. I bet. Well, like think about maintenance. though. like you land at that airport and you're AOG. If that plane just lives there for the rest of its life, like you have to walk home. Like how, how do you, well, we would AOG? Take ahead. Uh, we thought ahead. So we would, we'd always take a mechanic on those flights and we would carry, you know, essential things on the airplane that we need, like a starter or things that would make us AOG. We would carry with us and we've had to do that before. And in fact, on that trip, I wasn't on it, but the, the tires got beat up so much on that, uh, on that flight, they ended up having to come to West Palm to, uh, get a new set of tires <laughs> and then come, go back down again. Jeez. All on the, the same day. <laughs> it's 91, yeah, no, right? <laughs> it is 91. Yeah. That's another story. Yeah. Right. Uh, you kind of don't hear, there are great 91 jobs that you can find and they are amazing, but there are also, there's also ones where they ask a lot out of you and they have high expectations for you. To, to not complain about it and just do the job. You know, it's kind of, you fly as much as they want them to and you're up to their mercy, essentially. Yeah, there are no uh, duty day rules or, or anything like that. And I think, uh, you know, in the 91 world, crew rest on international flights is, is not uh, a really familiar topic to them. Yeah, it's, it's, it'd, be, it'd be nothing for a, like a corporation in a 550, any corporation to you know, fly a 10 hour flight to Europe with just two guys. And you, you tell the guys at the airline that, and you know, we do uh Newark to London. We have three guys. Sometimes it's less than six hours. And yeah, you tell them, you know, we did a 10 hour flight with two guys. They're like, what? That's funny. It's like, yeah, you but, guys lived a very pampered life in the airlines. Yeah. The place I fly safe. to is, yeah, thing. exactly. Where I fly, it's it's very similar. They do crew rest as well. And on longer flights, they have to do three pilots or four pilots. And some of their legs are like 16 hours. You know, you go up in a Gulf stream, you go up in a global and you fly very, very long legs. So it's, uh, yeah, crew rest is, and it's very essential to our operation. Yep. Uh, moving on to United, how was that process like? Was it I'm tired of this kind of 91 world and I'm tired of my, my tires blowing in a random airport in Brazil and I need to move on. Or did you see the writing on the wall that the company wasn't going to make it? It was kind of a little, all of the above. Um, they, you know, there's, there's these rumors that go around for 30 years in this town about the, you know, the different corporations and what's going to happen. But I did see the writing on the wall. Um, it didn't seem like they were wanting to invest in the department and I'd already, you know, I'd been around at that point. So I kind of saw the writing on the wall and I had another opportunity to, to, uh, 
to fly for a, a wealthy individual out of uh, the Detroit area in a, in a Gulfstream. And I'd had friends that had, had flown at that job before and told me how great it was. And I thought, well, this would be a, you know, a great place to go. And so I did that. So I just went from flying one Gulfstream to another Gulfstream. Um, it was a pay raise. And it was honestly probably the, you know, one of the best jobs I'll ever have. It just wasn't a career, but um, great, great job. You know, that's another horror story that you've heard flying for wealthy individuals. But this guy was like the best. He was, he was, uh, you know, wanted, wanted everything to be done safe. If the airplane needed anything, go for it. If you didn't feel comfortable, there was no pressure. It was, uh, I guess I've had a blessed career, but it was, it was an awesome place. And I was there for a year. Um, and, and during that time I got the call from United and, uh, that's when I went to United. Was it United? Was that the airline you wanted to go to or did you apply to every single one? Uh, I honestly applied to every single one because my dad uh, retired from Northwest right before the merger. And, you know, even when I got hired at American Eagle, he was like, always take the first class date, take the first major that hires you because seniority is everything. And, you know, it was right at American Eagle because, you know, it wasn't convenient when I was going to start, but he's like, you got to take the first class date. And if I hadn't have taken the first class date at American Eagle, I wouldn't have been there um, because September 11th happened. So you got to take the first class date. Um, United called, um, same week Delta called. So I had interviews at both, um, missed the Delta interview by one point, And then three days later went to United and, uh, it was night and day difference between the two companies. Loved it. Um, and couldn't have been happier. Yeah. You figured out the double breasted jacket. It wasn't for you. It, it's just different. You know, I, United was a great fit for me. Um, not to disparage uh, the guys over there, but it's just a great fit for me at United. You know, I, I go there for the interview at United and every single person I walk by stop to give me a pep talk and tell me about the company and whether it's just pilots walking down the hall or the janitors or it was a very welcoming environment. And I thought, wow, this is, this is like a little family and I kind of like this. Yeah, that is cool. And so especially when you're at a, a massive airline. I mean, you worked at places with 500 pilots with probably four pilots. And now you're working at a place with thousands of pilots and to hear stories about how it's still like a small family and, and everyone looks out for each other has to be pretty cool. Well, it's daunting. You know, I'm staying across the street at that time. We had to fly a, uh, a 737, uh, simulator, the, you know, the classic 737 simulator on the interview. So I went the night before and did the interview prep and I'm in this massive training center, you know, United badging everywhere. And it's, it's, you know, it's daunting, you know, everyone jokes like, uh, you know, no pressure. It's just a, you know, two to $3 million oops, if you don't get the job. And, uh, but that's what was so awesome about that place is everyone there. And it's still that way today. And I try to do it every time I see someone interviewing, they, they try to put you at ease and make you feel comfortable and let you know that they really want you to work there. Yeah. That's one thing important too, is like when they bring you in for the interview, they're invested and they want you to get the job, you know? They're not looking for you to, they don't want you to, to not succeed. You're there. They want you to succeed. They want to offer you. Uh, and that's not saying that like sometimes you just have bad days and sometimes, you know, and you apply six months later and you go through the process again, you get the job, but it's, it's something that they want you to do. And you're still going to be very nervous. Like you said, it's like this huge opportunity. It's like your Super Bowl essentially. Like this is everything you trained for in this one to two days to get this job. And 
Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but it's it's a very stressful day. Absolutely. Uh, moving on forward. So you're at United now. Uh, you've been there for six years. Have you been on the same plane? Have you changed planes? What'd you flying? So um, I already had the Airbus type rating. So, you know, that was, uh, that's what I wanted to fly for sure. Um, I thought that would, uh, you know, going to a major, I wanted to do the best I could at training and already having the type rating to me was going to be, you know, paramount. So we, we get to the selection class. I think it was 36 when I got hired and I was the third youngest in the class. So we were still working off the guys from the lost decade, which I was a member of. So I think the average age in my class was 49. So I was, um, at United, we do, you bid your airplane based on age. I know Delta does social security number, but we do age. So third youngest, I had the third to last choice. Um, Luckily, no one wanted to fly the Airbus. There was two slots, and uh, I got the Airbus. What were all the other slots? Was it a 7573 in Airbus, or was it a 73 in Airbus? It was a lot of 75. Um, in fact, they name all the classes, and they called us the dullest class ever because uh, I think 20 of them went to the, the 75 at Dulles. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, a lot of, there was about six 73s, which everyone wanted because it's the growing fleet. Um, I wanted the Airbus, which it's funny. Uh, I haven't seen him since new hire class, but there was a, a Thunderbird uh, in my class and he was uh, younger than me. So he had the second to last choice and uh, you know, he wanted the Airbus. And I'm like, well, this is the seniority system. <laughs> you know, welcome to the 121 world. I'm going to take it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, sorry. So I got, uh, I got the Airbus and uh, couldn't have been happier and went through training. Training was great. Um, and I flew the Airbus for just about four and a half, five years, and then had the itch for the international flying again. I, I could have selected the seven five out of training, but I knew I would have been reserve, um, would have been a relief guy forever. And I really wanted to fly and hold the line pretty quickly, which I did within four months, uh, by, by going to the Airbus and I wanted, wanted to be based in Chicago and the Airbus was great for that. So I flew for four and a half years on the bus, loved it, and then uh, made the jump to the 7576 uh, just about three months prior to the pandemic. So I, I got on the line uh, late November um, of 19. Thanks. You had a couple yeah. of good flights, right? I did. I, yeah. You know, that's basically all I've ever wanted to do is fly international for an airline and you know, I, I was running along the Thames in London and I'm like, well, I've, I've arrived. It's almost like my, my previous moment where I've arrived at a regional and I'm 22 years old. It was, you know, I'm in London going for a run on the Thames and I'll be back next week and do that again. And then the, back again, every, every week has gone to a different European country and I was loving life. And then, uh, yeah, it's like a September 11th moment, but a COVID-19 moment. I'm in my hotel room in Madrid and the president comes on and saying, we're banning travel to Europe and like, well, this isn't going to be good. Yeah. Um, how, how quick did you get back? Obviously you had the, ne- the next flight back and that's probably the last time you've been international. Or have you been international since? That's the last time. So that was, uh, we flew the second to last flight out of Madrid. Um, I'm based in Newark. Newark was primarily international. So I didn't fly from March of 20 until November of 20. Um, 
they didn't, uh, cause I ran out of currency. There was no need to send me to training and spend the money cause there was no flying. Most of our airplanes were in the desert. Um, but then I got current again and, uh, flew a couple, uh, domestic trips in the seven, five, seven, six. And then, uh, since then they've been offering these, uh, reduction lines just, uh, to try to save some money. They wanted everyone on board ready to go when travel came back, but, uh, you know, give you a little less pay and you can, uh, take the month off. So that's what I've been doing up until next month. I'm heading back to the line. Nice. Uh, is international travel coming back? You see that coming in your future or is it still going to be more domestic? It's back. Yeah. It's, uh, countries are starting to open up, whether some of them are, you have to be vaccinated to go or others not. But, uh, yeah, we, we have some international destinations back on the schedule. I think on, on my airplane, there's about five or six. Good. So looking back at uh, the two pivotal moments in your career, 9-11, you're sitting at American training and United, you're sitting at a hotel when coronavirus has kind of taken effect. Compare the two, compare the feelings, compare the the outcomes, like which one, not necessarily worse, but just like the downturn itself. Um, were they both similar? Do you think one was worse than the other? Or kind of just like talk about both of those experiences that you had? Well, I can remember getting together with the crew, uh, you know, I think at breakfast, we're like trying to try to do the numbers, like, uh, how many people, cause you know, we're pilots, we're pessimistic. We're already thinking that we're going to be furloughed. Um, because I mean, it's obvious that planes aren't flying. It went down to a 7% schedule. So I was thinking I had 3000 people behind me. I was thinking I was going to be safe based on previous, because up until that point, nine 11 was the worst the industry had ever seen. And I, you know, I think they'd maybe furloughed 2,200 people on 9-11. So I'm like 3,000, maybe I'll be okay. Um, but then it, then it got protracted and was getting worse and took longer. And, um, you know, union was send, sending out some numbers and it was basically like, you know, we only need half the pilots we have right now. So it was like, I've been here before. Uh, I, I fully intended to be furloughed. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, just those emotions and, and both times, like you finally, when you think I made it, like, this is the best thing I could ever do. I'm at my career job. Like I want to be here forever. Both times you had those feelings. It's kind of like, boom, the world had other ideas for you (laughs) or the industry itself. So I think if you ever start feeling, feeling comfortable, you need to like put out like feelers and let everyone know something's about to go down. (laughs) Well, that's true. And you know, that's part of the reason why you know, I guess I'm on this podcast right now is because I went through that in my young twenties and it was, you know, I remember Americans saying, all right, we'll give you a ticket home. Where should we write your ticket to? And I, I had to think like, I have no idea. I have, I have no idea where I'm going to go. I don't have a house. You know, I have family I can go stay with, but what am I going to do? Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. It hit me. It was a very low point. And when this happened, it was like, okay, well, I, I remember being home. I went for a run and I kind of, I came back and I'm sitting on a porch in my garage and I'm like, just kind of laughing to myself. Cause like, wow, I'm, I'm 40 years old. Uh, like I'm divorced. I'm single, uh, about to not have a job. And I'm like, I just start laughing. Like, well, it's not going too good right now. <laughs> but, but then I'm like, but I, you know, I'm like, I got this. Like I, I went through nine 11. I went through the lost decade. I, went through a lot of adversity, it always gets better. So it would have been easy to fall into a feeling sorry for myself moment. And, uh, 
But having gone through that before, uh, I knew what I had to do. And it was, I don't know, it was never, uh, never, uh, I guess, a low point personally, because I, I just took charge. That's good. So talk about it, what you did, like we'll talk about the feelings you had and why you decided to, uh, to start the cookie company. Uh, what kind of led up to it? Obviously it's kind of like you wanted something, you wanted to take control. If anything happened to your aviation side and you wanted to have something to fall back on, but why cookies kind of go into the whole thing of why you got into what you're doing? Well, yeah. And I think, you know, as pilots, we tend to allow ourselves to be, uh, defined by it. Like we are pilots and, um, and I was definitely that guy. And, you know, now all of a sudden I'm not a pilot. I'm, I'm home. I did, you know, I restained my deck. I restained my fence. I did all the projects that I always wanted to do. I did that. And then it was like, okay, now what? I, it would be silly of me to just become a better golfer. Um, and I also, you know, I have my kids, my nine and 11 year old that are looking at me. They're always looking at me. So I'm like, I gotta use this opportunity to teach them something too. Um, so I, I've always wanted to have a side business. It's something my dad had always instilled in me. He still has a side business to this day, um, selling brokering airplanes. I knew I wanted to start a business. I, I was like tossing around ideas of a, a laundromat or something more passive income as a pilot, but I've, I've always loved baking. Um, it's just something I've always loved to do. People always have loved my cookies. They, uh, they would always say, Oh, you got to sell these. And I've looked into doing farmer's market, but farmer's markets are on the weekends. And when you're a junior airline pilot, you're gone every single weekend. Um, but the main catalyst was when I'm driving around Midland with my daughter in the back of the car. And she, she's like, daddy, when I grow up someday, I want to own a cookie shop. And, um, that was like the motivation I needed because she didn't know at the time that I was considering that as an option. And I'm like, well, that must be a sign. So it, uh, aviator cookie company was born then what was the it's kind of like um when you're doing when you're becoming a pilot at first you know you had this idea of starting this cookie company but you actually have to put in the work to start it talk about that talk about like pilots aren't the best at running businesses sometimes it's been proven or best of their money but uh figuring it all out was it pretty easy for you, you could fall back on your, your family's experience of having other businesses too or did you do kind of all the research yourself a little bit of the above, uh, you know, Michigan sets you up with a small business consultant too. Uh, and that was very helpful as a friend of mine now. And, um, but it was, I don't know, I think as pilots were, were very goal oriented and I, I've never worked in a commercial bakery before, uh, except for being a cook at Ponderosa Steakhouse when I was 16, I hadn't worked in the food service industry, but I just hit the books. It gave, it gave me it's not a reason to wake up every day, but it gave my life meaning when I'm not a pilot anymore. I'm because, you know, I'm a single dad, so I have my kids 50 50. So my life was just constantly busy. I would drop my kids off at school in the morning, go commute to Newark and you know fly to Europe, come back, pick my kids up. So that was my life. Now, all of a sudden, I'm home um, in a town that's great for raising kids, but bad for a 40 year old single guy. And so I'm like, I'm just around the house. It's the pandemic. Michigan's restrictions were really hard at the time. You weren't even allowed to go for a joyride in your car at the time. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta do something. Like I, I just can't do this for however long this pandemic's going to last. So I, I hit the books. I, I read the entire uh, Michigan food guide book and 
started talking to people within the city about what I needed to do for permits. Um, you know, started costing recipes, what they would cost, what kind of equipment I would want, developed a business plan, um, figured out the financing, found a location. Um, I just started the process. You just dove all in. I dove all in, not knowing anything that I was doing. I didn't even know, you know, the first time I used this giant mixer and the giant oven in my bakery was uh, about a week and a half before I opened. So I I spent the summer developing all my recipes, um, which that took a lot of time. Uh, When we opened, I had 30 recipes. So that was just a lot of trial and error, Uh, my little mixer. But I, I just dove in. That's crazy. Uh, did anyone tell you or warn you when you're going through this? Like, yo, dude, this is a terrible time to start a business. Or were they all for it? Were they all like, yeah, come on, man, let's go. Let's start it. It was more uh, passive aggressive. Like like uh, a lot of them, because I, I only sell cookies. And they're like, just cookies. And I'm like, yeah, just cookies, not cupcakes. I'm like, well, I don't know how to make cupcakes well. I know cookies. And my business plan was just cookies. So it was a lot of passive things like, oh, you're just going to go right ahead and do it. I'm like, yes, I am. Uh, but there's never a doubt in my mind. How's it been going since you opened? How long ago did you open? I should ask. Uh, about two and a half, two and a half, three months ago. It was on March 20th was our grand opening. Nice. Congrats, man. Oh, thanks. Has it been everything you wanted or has it been uh, more difficult or easier than you thought it was going to be? Uh, it's, it's definitely been harder. Um, it's definitely been busier. It's uh, you know, I'd come up with a number for a break-even point and what I thought would happen. Um, and I, I think in the beginning, I figured I'd, I'd need to sell about 150 cookies a day. And I was really scared about that. Um, I didn't know. I'm like, that's a lot of cookies for this town. And, um, you know, we had our grand opening. The, the story of an airline pilot grounded... And uh, starting a small business during the pandemic kind of took hold in my local area. So I was on all three of the local news channels and the newspapers and Skies Magazine, obviously, where you found me. And so there was kind of a lot of buzz in my town and I have a pretty good social media following in the town. So we opened and I, I go outside and look down the street and it's like two blocks down the line. And I think we sold 1500 cookies in four hours on the first day. And it was like that for about two months. Just I would sell everything I could possibly make. I would sell. Um, there's a lot of 18 hour days. Um, it's since died down, but it's died down to a level that's five to six times busier than I ever thought it would be. That's crazy, man. That's exciting. Yeah. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. What? How do you foresee this in the future, like building the company and being an airline pilot? Do you see uh, maybe flying less and focusing more on this? And do you always want to keep flying? Like, has this ever got to be something that you could franchise or do stuff like that? Would you ever step away from flying or are you always going to fly? I'm always going to fly. It's it's my first love. And, uh, you know, not to copy Pilot Pete because I was washing dishes at the bakery listening to that episode. But, yeah, it's it's my first love. and. I know I tell people this and they don't believe me, but I never thought about the money when I wanted to start the bakery. Uh, honestly, it's, it's like the most amazing feeling in the world when someone tries my cookie and I, I like looking out the window when someone walks outside with the cookie and then tastes it and they're like, wow. And I, I guess I did it for that. It's kind of cool to be able to watch the little kids come in and get cookies. And 
that's really the motivation when I started. I, I honestly didn't think it was going to be a money-making enterprise for me. Like the goal would be if I got furloughed, it would be enough cash to, you know, to survive, you know, not go into debt as much. But I never thought it would be a long-term thing. I thought it would be just really fun to do. But it's it's turned into more than that now. I I, I only had one employee hired when I opened and now I have eleven. And um yeah, and it's it's definitely um, getting a buzz around it. And I could definitely see opening more locations in nearby cities in the future, shipping cookies, um, merchandise and franchising. Eventually it's definitely, I definitely, it has that feeling like I could make this something really big. Well, whenever um, you so start shipping cookies, let me know. Cause I want to order some. So well, just get a flight up to MBS. Next time you're in MBS, make sure you give me a shout. <laughs> All right. I'll do that too. That's we'll cool. Deliver. Where, so if anyone wants to come visit your, your shop, where is it? How can they find it? What's your Instagram? Kind of like uh, do all the promotion things you can do right now. So people can get an idea if they're in the, within an hour drive or a couple hour drive, they can come see and get some cookies. Well, yeah, we're in Midland, Michigan, uh, which is uh, uh, aptly named in the middle of the state, kind of near Saginaw. We're about two hours north of Detroit. Uh, we actually have a lot of fly-in traffic. The uh, local airport has a crew car and you know, on the weekends we'll get people that fly up cause they saw us on the news or on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, but we're, uh, yeah, on right on main street, two thirty main street in Midland, Michigan. Uh, we are going to be turning on the online ordering for, uh, merchandise uh, in the coming weeks and start shipping that we've got enough people hired now where we can start doing that. We'll be shipping eventually, hopefully in about six months to a year, but, uh, yeah, aviator cookie company on all the socials. I love it. That's so cool, man. Uh, I'm excited for it. And I, I really love seeing pilots kind of do more than just fly and kind of try to build businesses. And, and it is possible. You do We do have a, a unique amount of time off where we do work a lot, but we also have a, enough time off in the month where we can kind of throw together some things and, and make a business and see how it works and go after it. And I'm excited to see that this is is doing well. And I'm excited that it is turned into something that you never even imagined. And I hope that it just continues to take off. Uh, no pun intended and uh, continue to do well and take over the cookie world. Well, I appreciate that. And, uh, as you, uh, the same with the coffee. Yeah. I appreciate that too. Maybe we can get some coffee in the store and you can sell pilots coffee too. <laughs> yeah, we can do that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a couple different pilots doing coffee too, isn't it? I mean, it's so funny. There's a shaving company, t-shirt companies, candle company. There's, there's so many aviation guys that started businesses during this. Absolutely. Uh, I got a, I got one more section left for you. So I got the rapid fire section and it's just a bunch of aviation themed questions and you answer the first question that, or you answer with the first answer comes to your mind. You ready? Yep. What is your favorite airplane overall out of any airplane ever made? Ooh, that's really tough. I mean, you know, growing up, you know, my dad flew the seven five and he was always saying it's such a beautiful airplane and it flies so well. And I, I would love to say the seven five, but the, Honestly, my favorite that I've ever flown is the seven six three hundred. All right, they just fly sweet. Your dad's not going to like that answer. That's all right. I fly the seven five too. Yeah. Uh, what about corporate jet? You have uh, enough experience to fly pretty much everything that you can fly. So, what about favorite yeah. corporate jet? Uh, favorite corporate jet I flew was the Gulfstream. Obviously, it was. Uh, I mean, it's Cadillac. It was great. What about a small piston plane? Do you have a favorite one of those? Oh. Uh, well, that I've flown, I loved my 120. I mean, that was pretty cool. What's the ugliest airplane you've ever seen? 380. Something you wish you knew before you became a pilot? Uh, 
I guess what the job entailed. I, I don't think people think about the time spent away from home. No, I would agree. Who in the industry would you like to meet most? They could be living or they could have passed on. Uh, I would have loved to have met my grandfather. He passed before I was born. What's your favorite thing about aviation? Uh, I, I guess the people, the people you meet. What's the worst flight you've ever had? It could be kind of maintenance issues. It could be all the stresses of planning everything. Uh, but what is the, like the one flight that you think back on and you're like, oh my gosh, that was the worst. Oh, man, that's hard to pick. Um, hmm. Yeah, maybe one of those Brazil flights. Yeah, just really long days and bad weather and vultures and <laughs> rough runways. Yeah. What's your favorite flight you've ever had? Favorite flight I ever had. I got to fly, uh, taking the airplane to Savannah uh, for maintenance. And my son was, oh man, I think he was only six weeks old. So I have a picture in the cockpit with, you know, my six week old on my lap. So that was really, really cool. That is cool. I love that. That's really cool. What's your favorite airport you've ever landed at? Ooh. Um, yeah, I tried to think ahead of time too, because I've heard <laughs> these questions before. You know, one of the most fun ones to do is that DCA river visual. I mean, that, that is really fun. Nice. You don't do that in the seven five seven six, though, do you? We do go there. Actually, oh, really? Not my base. Yeah, we fly the seven five three hundred in there. That's a good plane to bring in there, though. The short runways, all right? Yeah, it does. Yeah. It's an amazing airplane. Yep. Uh, what's your least favorite? And you can't say the airport in Brazil. Ooh, okay. Um, Atlanta. <laughs> I I understand that one for sure. Um, IFR or VFR, and let's say you're flying like a, a small, let's say you're near 152 and you're building time. Would you rather flown IFR or VFR? Oh, VFR. Yeah. What's your favorite airport food? Uh, you're getting a connection flight. You got like 30 minutes in uh, Newark or wherever you are connecting. Uh, what's your favorite food to get? Um, I feel like all of us pilots say the same exact thing when we get asked this question. So you're, I'm going to say Chick-fil-A, but I'm always at the airport on Sunday, <laughs> so I can't get it. That's the um, truth. Yeah, but uh, I'm in my young 40s now, so now I uh, I go for the salads wherever I can find them. There you go. Smart. That's hard to do when you're tired and you need to make a smart decision. You usually want to go for the spicy chicken and the fries or a milkshake or something like that. So probably for going for the salad. Would you rather fly over mountains, the beach, or cities, or the oceans, I guess I should say? Oceans. Airbus or Boeing, if you had to choose one? Uh, I mean, I'm currently flying the Boeing. But I, I really did love the Airbus. Yeah. You know, we eat like we eat like a gentleman in the airplane and at the table and talks to you in a voice. No, it's good. What's your favorite airline livery? Ooh, um, you know, our new livery is kind of growing on me. But uh, I do love, uh, you know, growing up, I'm pass riding on Northwest, and I kind of like the bowling shoe. I, um, so my dad's an American pilot. He flew to US Air. So I never really saw, I'm from Charlotte. I've never seen really a Northwest plane in person ever in my life. Okay. So yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting. Like where you grow, where you are regionally, like I'm sure, I don't know if there were many US airplanes where you're growing up, but it's just like, it's funny how regionally what you see. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Would you fly long trips or short trips? So what I mean by that is the longest possible flight you can do in your airplane or as many short hops as you can do in your airplane. Uh, Right now in my career, I love the long flights. I feel like I was built for it. I sleep like a baby on the airplane. I sleep great in Europe. So I like the long ones. Get it out of the way. Hardest check card you ever had? Uh, CFI oral. What's the biggest regret you have in your career? Ooh, 
it's hard, hard to think about regrets, but, um, I'll try to make this quick, but I'm, I'm, I've already decided to be a corporate pilot to start a family and do all of this. And I'm, I'm jump seating home on Northwest. I think my second to last flight at spirit. Um, what I didn't know is my dad was a LCA check airman at Northwest and he had just given this guy a, uh, line check and he ended up being the number two guy at Northwest. So I'm a week away from starting my corporate career and I get an interview at Northwest and I'm like, no, I'm, I'm making this decision for my family. And I, I didn't go on the interview. So this would have been Northwest in 2006. So translate that till now. That's, uh, that's a lot of years at Delta. Yeah, it's 16 a lot of years, years at Delta. Double-breasted jacket. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but regrets, it's hard to call it a regret, but you know, monetarily that was probably a big, uh, oops, but everything works out for a reason. That's very true. What's the biggest win in your career so far? Biggest win in my career, uh, getting hired at United. If you were to commute to work, would you rather be on a CRJ or an ERJ? And not ERJ. the fancy 175. So oh, go like 145 CRJ. or CRJ 200. Yeah. If, yeah. Even the jump seat, they're both rough, but the CRJ is a little roomier. So the 175 doesn't count because that's a comfortable airplane. I'd take that over most airplanes any day to ride on. It is. And I'm usually in the cockpit jump seat. I've even done that bathroom jump seat on the uh, 145. That's a blast. That sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You wedged in between two passengers in front of the bathroom. Oh, man. Yeah. That does not sound great. <laughs> it's a ride home, though. Yeah. That's true. That's one thing I do love about where I'm at is that they pay for a ticket for you to go to the plane and go home. But muting sounds awful. It is, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm here cause I, I want to be in my kids' lives and I wouldn't exactly change, change it for anything. Uh, last but not least, let's say you have points, money, whatever it is to buy a ticket to go to Shanghai or uh, Australia. What's like the one airline you would want to book on in uh, business class or the fanciest ticket you can get? Ooh. Uh, it's a tough call. I, I have flown Lufthansa because they're a partner. So I did fly them back from Frankfurt. Uh, so I checked that off the list. I guess Qantas would be nice. Qantas would be cool. Qantas safest airline, according to Rayman, right? That's what I hear. Yeah. <laughs> well, Chris, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, man. I really appreciate your time. And it's really cool, like I said, to hear uh, someone just kind of doing their own thing and, and trying to make uh, make strides in the, the business world. So I wish you the best with your cookies. Um, and yeah, I wish you the best man and hope you continue to fly international and don't get comfortable because then the whole world's going to come to an end. So I, I want you to feel like you, you never, I don't ever want you to be comfortable flying. Cause I feel like it's best for all of us if you don't, well, we, I'm kidding. We, of course. Yeah, I know, but we've all, uh, we're starting to get through the end, other side of this and I hope everyone sees that, uh, you know, it always does get better. So yeah, absolutely. Well, if you're ever in Chicago or is that still your base right now or where's your base? I'm based in Newark. Uh, there's a lot better flying and better seniority. I'll there. say if you're ever in Chicago, that's where I live. Uh, hit me up. I'll, I'll deliver some hang or some pilots coffee to you in the airport, but it's good talking to you, man. Yep, sounds good. Perfect. Thanks. AV Nation, that is a wrap of the Pilot to Pilot podcast. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If this is something you want to support, go check out Midland, Michigan, and Aviator Cookie Company. The reason I laugh is it's hard for me to support anything in Michigan, but when it's such a good 
good product you guys support and such good people. Chris was awesome to talk to and it was really interesting hearing his story, especially going from like 91, 121, 91, 121 back, like just keep on going back and forth. It was uh, just really interesting to hear someone navigate the career. Uh, it's always cool to hear someone do things and hear why they decided and the decisions that they make and the real why and how aviation works for different ways for so many different people. And you just got to make it your own and make it work for you. Aviation, I hope you guys are having a great day. And as always, happy flying.